podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. What's good, boys and girls? Welcome to the Two-Footed Podcast on Monday, February the 15th. Hope you all have a very nice weekend. Uh, we are brought to you, as always, by EPLindex.com in association with our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider that's a virtual privacy network, allows you to go online, change your location, protect your data, make sure no ne'er-do-wells can pretend to be you. If you want to access American Netflix from the UK, it, it lets you do that. If you're outside the UK and want to use Now TV, it allows you to do that as well. LibertyShield.com, use the code EPLVPN to get 20% off at checkout. Right, eight games to get through. Um, lots of pain for myself as we begin with Leicester 3, Liverpool 1. I don't think anyone that watched this game could deny that for 75 minutes Liverpool were the better team. Leicester created the better chances, and by created the better chances, I mean Liverpool gifted those chances to them. In the first half, Jamie Vardy should have had a hat-trick. Jordan Henderson gifted him three great opportunities. Got caught under the ball, gifted Vardy a six-yard header that Vardy headed straight at Alisson Becker. Failed to hold a defensive line, let Vardy in, gifted Vardy a one-on-one, he hit the crossbar. A weak defensive header, let Vardy in, gifted him a one-on-one, and Alison Becker made a good save. That was basically it for the first half. Liverpool played the better football, but got sloppy in the final third. Leicester really straight failed to string two or three passes together. Their chances came from Liverpool errors. In the second half, Liverpool started with more purpose and went ahead through a brilliant goal from Mo Salah after great work from Bobby Firmino. And Liverpool looked comfortable because Leicester still were struggling to pin, uh, to, to string passes together. And then it all fell apart. Then it all badly fell apart. Harvey Barnes beats Trent Alexander-Arnold in a 1v1 on the edge of the box. Thiago Alcantara steps across to block his path and fouls him. It's clearly outside the box, but the referee points to the penalty spot. VAR reviews it. Not sure why it took so long, but eventually they gave it as a free kick outside the box. And that's fine. It's a low cross from Madison. Nobody is ever going to convince me that Daniel Amarty is not offside. He swings his foot at the ball, doesn't make contact, and it goes into the net and the goal is given. So it's one all. And then the real calamities begin. 
Sadio Mane is blatantly fouled by Johnny Evans, a two-handed shove in the back, on the edge of the Leicester penalty box. No free kick is given. Leicester thump a long ball over the top. Ozan Kabak is about to deal with it, and Alison Becker appears. Kabak sort of half pulls out of his clearance, manages to flick the ball behind him. Alison kicks the air, and the ball runs free. Now, somebody was marking Jamie Vardy, and they had stopped trailing him because they thought the defender and the goalkeeper would sort it out between themselves. There's no blame to anybody else, but Vardy ends up free. And he runs the ball into the net. Then Quebec gets done badly, caught for pace, caught out of position. And the ball is played into the left-hand channel. Harvey Barnes runs on and scores. 3-1. And that's it. That's game over. It's another bad result for Liverpool. It's another very bad defensive showing. The sooner they can put Jordan Henderson back into midfield, the better. Because he's been badly exposed in the last three games. And the idea that he's ever going to be able to play centre-back on a regular basis needs to be placed firmly you know, in a bin and then lit on fire. It's not an ideal debut for Quebec, but it was never going to be. If he had a centre-back next to him, it might be different. If he had a right-back who was in better form, it might be different. A goalkeeper who was in better form, it might be different. Liverpool will get Fabinho back. It might be another week or two. But I think once him and Quebec are side-by-side at centre-back, that will solve a lot of the problems. That will put Henderson back into midfield. You'd imagine with Ginny Wijnaldum and Thiago Alcantara. And the balance of those three, especially if Henderson's in the box-to-box role, where he's at his very best, that should lead to a more cohesive unit. Salah continues to score. Firmino continues to look like he's hung over all the time. And Sadio Mane continues to struggle. So those two issues up front need to be solved. Now, they will get Jota back soon enough. They'll get Naby Keita back. So maybe we'll see a change in shape. But Liverpool need those players to come back and come back quickly. Because it's bad enough being without Van Dijk, Matip and Gomez. They can't afford to be without anybody else for the rest of the season. So 3-1 win for Leicester. The narrative will be that Brendan Rodgers got one over on his old team. The truth is that Brendan Rodgers had a stinker on the day. And his team got very lucky and were gifted their opportunities by a shaky Liverpool defence. Players out of form, players lacking confidence. Next up then, Crystal Palace nil, Burnley three. Um, I, I, I'm stunned that Burnley scored three goals. I'm stunned at how poor Crystal Palace were in this game. Burnley went 1-0 up after five minutes. Johan Berg-Goodmanson making the most of a defensive calamity. Jay Rodriguez headed in on 10 minutes to make it 2-0. And then Burnley looked full of confidence and started to play very un-Burnley-like football. Slinging the ball around, creating chances, happy to attack, committing men into the box. 
while Palace huffed and puffed and couldn't really get anything going. Right at the beginning of the second half, Matthew Lawton scored a tremendous goal. Beat Van Aanholt, played a 1-2, ran onto it, scores on the volley. The camera pans to Sean Dyche, and he's outraged. Furious that his team have scored a third goal. The camera pans to Hodgie, and he doesn't look like he knows where he is. The rest of the game, Burnley peppered the goal, looking for number four. Palace had some half chances. But Burnley absolutely deserved the win here. Absolutely deserved the win here. So Burnley go to 16th in the table. They'll be delighted with that win. Palace are now 14th. Only three points ahead of Burnley. And Burnley have a game in hand. Worryingly for Palace, there is only 11 points separating them and Fulham. And we'll get to Fulham. And while 11 points is still a comfortable barrier, a bad run of form will cause that to shrink. Palace need to get things sorted quite quickly. There's a lot of talk that they're actively looking for a replacement for Hodgson and that they could potentially part ways with Hodgson in the next month. I'm not sure I'd agree with that type of move. I think with a manager like Hodgson, you're probably better off riding it out with him. I think if you're in a relegation scrap or anything resembling it, Hodgson is the type of manager you want there. But they do need to make a move in the summer. Burnley, I'm just, I'm delighted for Dyche. I'm delighted for them that they've managed to right the ship. Still only eight points between them and Fulham, but eight points is, you know, is a lot better than what they were looking at a few months back when they had one point from their first six games. Dyche is proving again and again that he is one of the best managers in the league. Now, they may have a managerial change in the show, in the summer, but it will be because Dyche has been offered a bigger job or a better job. Whether he'd take it or not, I don't know. He has a lot of control at Burnley. I don't know that he'd get the level of autonomy that he has at Burnley elsewhere. But these new owners, there's a lot of question marks over them. There's a lot of question marks over the financial future now of Burnley, which for a club that were brilliantly run since they arrived in the Premier League to now have as much debt loaded onto them as they do, it is a little bit concerning. And we'll wait and see if they're willing to spend. Because if they're willing to spend, Dice will make things work. If they're not willing to spend and they've loaded the club with money, or with, with debt rather, you'd rather you'd wonder what their intentions are. Third game of the weekend saw the can we call them the champions elect yet? Because it, it doesn't look like it's going any other way. Manchester City 3, Tottenham 0. City's 11th Premier League win in a row. Sensational performance. Complete control. Complete dominance. Did almost go 1-0 down. Harry Kane hitting the post with a great free kick early on. But from there, it was it was all Manchester City. 
Rodri put them 1-0 up after 23 minutes from the penalty spot. I think the keeper should have saved it. He got a full hand to it. But City were good value for their 1-0 lead. Into the second half, and City just took it to a different level. And Ilkay Gundogan, who is the footballer of the year right now, scores the second. Lovely bit of movement. Makes a great run. Sterling finds him. Nice left-footed shot. Again, the keeper gets a hand to it, but it's hard to criticise. Eight yards out and decent power behind it. Gundogan again on 66. Just a simple long ball from Ederson. And Gundogan runs on to it. What he did to Davinson Sanchez was just rude. Davinson has family. They'll have been mortified to watch that. Gundogan was just merciless, though. It's a great finish. Makes it 3-0. He is, without question, the best player in England right now. And has been for about two and a half months. He may very well be the best player in Europe right now. His his level of performance and his level of consistency are unlike anything I'm seeing from anybody else. Now, Bruno Fernandes is still favoured to be player of the year. And Bruno has had a very good season. But I fear that a lot of the hype on Bruno is from last season carried over. Bruno has had, I would say, a rough six weeks where he hasn't played particularly well. He's still scoring goals, but he's not playing particularly well. Gundogan is playing brilliantly in every area. Defensively, in transition, his creativity and his goal scoring has been on a different level. This season so far, Ilke Gundogan has 11 goals in the Premier League in just 18 games. That's almost double his previous best season, which was six in 18-19. He is playing ridiculous football. And every aspect of his game is to be admired. His passing, his movement, his intelligence, the way he drops into position when City lose the ball. Whoever is out of position, left back, centre-back, defensive midfielder, the left winger, if they're out of position, Gundogan will fill that position. He will just drop in. He closes off passing lanes, doesn't overcommit on presses, takes really good angles when pressing the ball. Just a super intelligent player. And if you look at his career, He obviously broke through at um, Nuremberg and then moved on to Dortmund, which is where he began to get, you know, real recognition playing under Jurgen Klopp. Then in 13-14, he missed basically the whole season. He played one league game, had a bad back injury, and he was never quite the same. There were still flashes of brilliance. But he was never quite the same, and he still had some injury problems through 14-15. Uh, 15-16, his final season there was a lot better. He played 40 games across all competitions, but did miss nine league games. 
he moves to City and he misses most of his first season. Plays only 10 Premier League games, 16 across all competitions. When he does play, you can tell this guy is outstanding. But City were patient with him. In 17-18, he played a key role in the title. 18-19, the same. Not always as a starter. Not always an every-game starter. You remember that midfield, De Bruyne, Fernandinho, and David Silva. But Gundogan would drop in here and there, could play instead of any of the three. If Pep wanted to move to a box midfield, he would bring Gundogan in to play next to Fernandinho, play Silva and De Bruyne a little bit more advanced and a little bit more narrow. Last season, he was a little bit disappointing in the league, but some of his Champions League performances were exceptional. This season, he's just different. This season, everything is going his way. It's like he's playing with newfound freedom. Like Pep has just told him, just go out and within the boundaries of our tactical plan, express yourself. Don't hold back. Don't take a secondary seat to somebody else. Because at City, and in the first 10 games of the season, I think they were all guilty of this. Everybody was sort of sitting back and almost expecting Kevin De Bruyne to do everything for them. All the creativity came through him. All the drive from midfield was through him. But now, Gundogan is doing it. Bernardo Silva is doing it. Phil Foden is doing it, dropping back in from advanced positions. Raheem Sterling has taken on more responsibility. Rodri is developing into the player they bought, the player they thought they were getting when they paid a lot of money to bring him from Atletico Madrid. But Gundogan still stands out. I mean, they're great players that we're talking about here. Sterling, top five player in the Premier League over the last two years. Bernardo Silva, borderline world-class player a couple of seasons ago, was obviously part of that great Monaco team that uh, won the French title, got to a Champions League semi-final, knocking out City on the way. Foden may be the biggest prospect England have. Rodri, tremendous. But Gundogan stands out a level above all of them. It's it's just sensational to, to watch. And I don't care who you support. I don't care if you're a Liverpool fan, a Manchester United fan, a Chelsea fan, a Burnley fan. If you can honestly tell me that you're watching Ilkay Gundogan play right now, and not awestruck and enjoying it to the absolute max. I think this is the wrong sport for you. Because what that guy is doing, the show he's putting on every single game. We haven't seen many Premier League midfielders in the history of the league play at this level. In the history of the league, once or twice you'll get a player step way above his level. But consistently for months at this level, you're talking about the greats, your Gerrards, your Keens, your Vieiras, your Paul Scholes, Lampard. 
Sen Balak. I saw someone compare him to Yaya Toure, thirteen fourteen. Yaya was incredible that season for City. I think there's more to Gundogan's game than there was to Yaya's game. Yaya probably won them more games. But go back and watch. And there's games Yaya would just float through. And then for 90 seconds, he would just decide, I'm the best player in the league. And he would win them the game. Now, there's a lot to be said for having that type of match-winning ability. You mostly see it in strikers. You rarely see it in midfielders. Midfielders are often tasked with doing far more. But Gundogan is doing far more. Gundogan is doing far more defensive work. He's far more involved in the build-up play. And then he's involved in the final stage. I genuinely will drop everything to watch him play right now. And I think it's testament to City, to their fitness staff, that they've managed to eradicate the injury problems he's had over the years. I think it's testament to Pep that he has been patient with him, that he is enabling him, allowing him to be the player he's capable of being. And it's testament to him for the belief in himself, for not giving up when he had those bad injuries. And if I'm... If I'm at Liverpool, I'm taking Naby Keita and I'm saying, look at him. There's no reason you can't do that. Because the level Naby was at with Leipzig was above the level Gundogan was at with Dortmund. Gundogan was great. Naby was the best midfielder in the league for a year. The second best over a two-year period. Gundogan was never quite at that level. Slightly below. He was top top 10 maybe. Top 5 at, at best. Naby was top 2. There's no reason Naby Keita can't replicate what Ilkay Gundogan is doing. He may not have the numbers. He may not get the goals. But more creativity. City win 3-0. And continue to march on. Seven points clear at the top of the table. With the game in hand. Just looking sensational. Looking unbeatable. The title is theirs unless they capitulate. And massive credit needs to go to Guardiola. Because in this season to do this when everybody else is struggling so badly and the only other team in the entirety of the league who've won more than one game in a row is Chelsea with three and you've managed to string together a run of 11 Premier League wins in a row without Kevin De Bruyne who's one of the best footballers in the world you deserve massive credit to have that consistency. And people who've listened to me on Anfield Index over the years will, will know, I've said this before. City play a brand of football 
that probably doesn't need fans to help them raise their game. There's a clinical nature, surgical nature to how City play. Unlike Liverpool, where they do need the fans because of the tempo they try and play at. City don't need that. And City are the team coping by far the best with this pandemic, with the lack of fans, with the injuries, because it's not like they haven't had injuries. They haven't had as many as others, but they've had injuries. I mean, they're without De Bruyne, and they've been without Aguero most of the season. Uh, It was good to see him back on the bench. But City are coping with it, and, and they're thriving. They're the best team in the country right now by an absolute mile. For Spurs, it's a fourth defeat in five. They dropped to ninth. They will not be happy with their season. They will certainly not be happy with this recent run. There was a point early in the season, up until about mid-December, where they did look like real title contenders. Now they look like a team that will struggle to even be in the mix for top four. Anything other than top four is is absolute failure. Anything other than top four is failure. Mourinho needs to get his act together because they won't be shy about moving on from him. And maybe he is a busted flush. Maybe his time as an elite manager is over. The last game on Saturday was Brighton nil. Aston Villa nil. Brighton absolutely dominated the game. A combination of good defending by the likes of Ezri Konza. Great goalkeeper. And poor finishing by Brighton themselves. Stopped them from winning this game. Comfortably the better team. Villa posed little threat. One shot on target. A daisy cutter from about 20 yards by Ross Barkley. Brighton had 26 shots in total, 9 on target, almost 60% of the ball. Just endless wave after wave of attack at the Villa goal. Jack Grealish, another poor performance of him, a little bit concerning. That's four or five in a row now where he has not played well. Doesn't quite look like he's moving as comfortably as you'd like, whether he's just a little bit exhausted or whether he's carrying a knock, I don't know. But another poor performance from him. It's a it's the continuation of a good run for Brighton. They move up now into 15th position. Uh, unbeaten in, I think, six in the Premier League. So they're going to be very, very happy with where they are and how they sit. If they had a goal score, as I've said all season, those 11 draws... Four or five of them would be wins, and Brighton would be a top-half team, I I believe. Defensively, they've been excellent pretty much all season. And that's with Ben White, who's not a particularly good defender. And I think half the games Lamptey's missed now, but he's played half, and he's not a good defender either. And yet they've still defensively been excellent. They just can't score enough goals to get them the rewards they deserve. 
for Villa, their form has been shaky for the last little while. We've spoken about that before. They're still an eighth, so they're still going to be very, very happy with, with how their season's going. I think, considering how they stayed up last season, it's a massive improvement. They've given plenty of teams trouble. They've walloped Liverpool. They've proven that they are a real Premier League club again, and they belong in the Premier League. Villa have always belonged in the Premier League. They're too good not to be, too big not to be in the Premier League. I mean, they're they're a European Cup winner. They've won lots of league titles. Of course, Villa should be in the top division, and they should be doing well in the top division. So it is great to see them back, you know, in the top half, doing so well. A, t- a young team full of quality players from back to front. A couple of additions away from probably being real European contenders. The links to the right players are out there. You know, there's a lot of talk of Tammy Abraham in the summer. I think if they pair him with Watkins and maybe play Grealish in behind them, I I think they'd score for fun. They need to find a better centre-back to partner Esri Konza. Mings, again, at the weekend, just giving away chances left and right, but Konza is, is excellent. Absolutely excellent. Um, Brighton will be a little bit disappointed not to have won the game, but look, a point is still a good result at this point. Um, on to Sunday then. Southampton won Wolves 2. Southampton went 1-0 up at Danny Ings' volley after a great bit of work and a great cross by Stuart Armstrong. Saints looked pretty comfortable at that point, having beaten Wolves in the week in the FA Cup. I think they looked like they were on their way to another victory. But in the second half, Wolves get a penalty after Ryan Bertrand handles. Now, it's a little bit of a controversial one. There's a great dribble by Adama Traore. beats a couple of men on the left-hand side, comes across the field, plays in Nelson Semedo, who hits a pretty rasping shot. Bertrand, uh, Ryan Bertrand is is turning his back away from the ball, and it hits his left hand which I don't think it's in an unnatural position. I don't think it's too far out from his body. It does seem like a bit of a harsh penalty award, but at the same time, we have seen them given. We've seen them not given. I wouldn't have been all that outraged either way. Uh, Ruben Neves steps up and makes no mistake. Great penalty. And then the game is won by a moment of magic from Pedro Neto, who is just a fantastic young footballer. On the right-hand side of the box, and everybody knows he's all left foot, so he's, he's going to try and get the ball onto his left. But he cuts back towards the touchline. And it really, really reminded me of Luis Suarez. Now, Suarez would do it from the other side, obviously being right-footed, but there was something about it that really reminded me of Suarez. That, I'm going to just charge for the end, for the byline, and you're in all manner of trouble if I get there. Gets there, has op- op- options for a pullback, and just lashes the ball across the keeper with a lovely amount of whip into the far. I don't like. I don't know how he scores from there. I genuinely don't know how he scores from there. McCarthy, people have said, should do better, but I just don't think he's given an opportunity. I don't think he expects this shot, and the pace and whip that Net- Neto got on the ball. 
I don't think he had any chance. It's a brilliant goal. Absolutely brilliant goal. Like I say, reminiscent of, of something Suarez would do quite regularly. Um, that cutback towards the the byline, rather than try and attack the bigger space, you know, away from goal. Just a great bit of play and a great goal. And for Wolves, it's it's a much-needed win. Really is a much-needed win for them. Um, Boosts them back up to 12th on the table. You know, they're a top-half team. There's there's top-half players all over the place there. And they've spent a lot of money. And Nuno is a very good manager, but this season he just seems to be struggling to get his message across. But this is a big win for them. They go above Southampton. Southampton do have a game in hand, but for Saints, it's six defeats in a row in the Premier League. And that needs to change really quickly. Really quickly. Four defeats in a row for the first 17. Six on the spin since beating Liverpool. They really need to address that. They need to do it soon. They need to win their next game. Up next for Saints. Chelsea at home. Then Leeds away and then Everton away. They are three very, very tough games. Very, very tough games. They, But they need to, even a draw, a draw against Chelsea just to stop the bad run. Disappointing. Anyway, we'll move on to West Brom 1. Manchester United won. United have taken one point from their recent games against the bottom two. And while Liverpool are a team in chaos, having taken only six points from their last five games, Manchester United, who are in the title race, have taken only six points from their last five games. Let's compare the games they've played. Liverpool played Spurs away, West Ham away, Brighton at home, Manchester City at home, and Leicester away. Leicester are third, City are top, Brighton are one of the informed teams in the league, West Ham are top six, and Spurs were top six at the time. Liverpool have taken six points. Uh, West Brom are 19th. Everton are a good team, but I think they were 7th when United played them. Saints had lost three in a row. Arsenal are mid-table. And Sheffield United couldn't be any further at the bottom if they dug a hole and climbed into it. So United have had a much easier run than Liverpool. They've taken the same amount of points. Liverpool have won one more game. United have only won one of those last five. And yet Liverpool are a team in crisis and United are a team in the title-challenging race. So that's a weird narrative. Uh, in this game, they went 1-0 down early on. Um, cross from the right-hand side. Yanye, the striker brought in on loan in the transfer window, gets across Lindelof. It does a, a bit of physicality involved. Lindelof needs to be stronger. Simple as that. A centre-back cannot be bullied the way he was bullied there. It's a great header. It's a great goal. I'm not having that it was a foul at all. It's just a centre-forward out-muscling a centre-back 
who doesn't make an attempt to play the ball. Lindelof wants to get his body between man and ball. He doesn't make a play for the ball. If he does, he probably clears it very easily. But he doesn't. Bruno Fernandes made it 1-0 just before half-time. A great left-footed volley from a Luke Shaw cross. I think that's four assists uh, in the last four games for Luke Shaw, uh, which is really good. But, you know, he had four in his previous 50 games. So whether or not it's sustainable for him, I don't know. Um, Controversy reigns. United were given a penalty after Harry Maguire fell over in the box. Uh, It was reviewed by VAR and then overturned. Now, there's a couple of things with this. Number one, there was nowhere near enough contact for Maguire to go down, and he should be ashamed of himself. It's a blatant dive. Number two, he was he was a mile offside. Uh, his entire body was pretty much offside. So they reviewed it on the foul and said, no, he's dived there. There's no reason, no reason for that to be a penalty, and overturned it. If he had been fouled, they would have reviewed it for the offside it would have been overturned anyway. So for Maguire to come out and cry about it and say that the goal should have stood or that the penalty should have stood, that the West Brom goal should have been chalked off, I, I just don't want to hear it. Maguire was appalling in this game. Diagne made a show of him. Um, he fell over again in, in the second half. Diagne went through on goal. Probably should have scored. De Gea does really well. Um, Diagne should have scored again after that. United were, were terrible. They were just terrible in this game. A um, couple of half chances, but other than the Harry Maguire header late on that Sam Johnson gets a, turns on to the post, it didn't really create a whole lot of anything. It's just a terrible performance against a really bad team. Um, concerning for United, if you ask me, they're now level on points they're still second, but they're level on points with uh, with Leicester. They're six, six points ahead of Liverpool, but again, Liverpool are having an appalling run, and there's only six points between them. They're seven points ahead of Chelsea. They're nine points ahead of Everton, but Everton have two games in hand on them. Chelsea have one game in hand on them. So, I don't... I don't think United look like a top four team right now. Defensively, they're terrible. They have the second worst defensive record in the top half. The only one worse is Liverpool, who've got no centre-backs and have conceded seven goals in the last two games and conceded seven to Villa earlier in the season. Take those three out, Liverpool's defensive record's actually been quite good especially given they've had no centre-backs. United has just been poor. Now, United have scored the most goals in the league, but nine of them came against Southampton. I just don't see them as a top-four team. I think they're badly managed. They play and rely on individual brilliance. If one man doesn't carry them, they struggle. Bruno hasn't played well in probably six weeks. Still scoring some goals, still doing brilliant things, but not able to lift the level of those around him. Uh, Rashford's out of form. Greenwood hasn't played well most of the season. Martial has been poor most of the season. 
you know, I mean, they've been re- relying on Scott McTominay of late. Uh, when you're relying on Scott McTominay to score your goals, you're in trouble. They've got a defence and goalkeeper at the weekend that cost £220 million. Looked like they'd never met each other before the game. Looked like they'd won raffles to be on the pitch. But it is what it is. They're second. Don't think they'll be there for all that long. Um, for West Brom, it's a great result. It, it's a great result. That's, you know, draws against Liverpool, uh, United and City in, in the last 10 weeks. But uh, their their plight is is still, you know, I mean, they, they just look like a team that's going down. Uh, 55 goals conceded this season so far. By far the worst defence in the league. Um, Palace and Leeds have conceded 42. And nobody else is anywhere close to them. Only the 19 goals scored this season. That's the third worst in the league. Uh, Level with Fulham. Only Burnley, who just don't like scoring goals. And Sheffield United, who are the only team below them in the table, have scored less. Only two wins in the league. That's the least of any team. Um, it's a great point. They should be proud of it, but I, I don't think it's going to make any difference in the bigger picture. Um, Arsenal four leads two. This was a very entertaining game. Is Aubameyang back? I, I've no idea, but he looked great. He was it was by far his best performance of the season. Notches himself a hat trick. Poor defending, I would suggest, on the first goal. Um, I'm not sure why Liam Cooper and Luke Ayling back up so much and allow him so much space, but they do. He gets a shot away. Melier can't save it. He gets the second after Baki Osaka dispossesses Melier, who gets himself in a mess and is fouled. Aubameyang steps up and scores. Now, Arsenal had a penalty awarded before that, which was overturned. I think the overturn was a mistake. I think Cooper fouls Saka. Saka's moving at pace. Cooper gets Sarm on him, shoves him. Saka goes down. I think it's a penalty. From there, Saka just decided that every time he got the ball, he was going to embarrass a Leeds player. Arsenal lined up in the 4-2-3-1 they've been playing of late, but they went with Saka, Odegaard, and uh, Emile Smith-Rowe as a three behind Aubameyang. And some of the creativity and quality we witnessed from those three boys was phenomenal. The level of technical ability between the three of them is sensational. Emile Smith-Rowe was quickly developing into one of my favorite players to watch, and his assist for Aubameyang's hat-trick goal was tremendous. The third Arsenal goal, which came between the penalty and the Smith-Rowe-assisted hat-trick goal, uh, was Hector Bellerin after a nice little move, nice slip ball from uh, Danny Caballos, turns his defender, lashes it in. Keeper maybe could do better, but... Arsenal played some wonderful football. Really wonderful football. Uh, Leeds got themselves back into it a little bit. Struja could have to play holding midfield in the absence of Phillips with a header on 58. And then Helder Costa took advantage of a little bit of a slip in defence to make it 4-2. And at that point, you know, there's 20 minutes left. And you're kind of thinking, oh, Oh, maybe Leeds are going to come back here, but it never really materialised. They had a couple of half chances after that, but Arsenal looked fairly strong and fairly comfortable. Um, The more 
Saka, Odegaard and Smith Rowe behind the striker that Arteta can give give us, the more I will start calling for a new contract for Arteta because those three, honestly, it was just brilliant to watch. They were tremendous together. And when Partey comes back in and they buy a proper partner for him, when they get Tierney back, they sort out the right centre-back and right-back positions. I really do think Arsenal are going to be a good team. Uh, I think they're three players away from being a really good team. Because outside of those that I've mentioned there, you've got Martinelli, you've got Pepe, you've got Lacazette, Eddie Nketiah, Reese Nelson. Granit Jack is having a decent season. Uh, Arsenal fans claiming he's the best midfielder in the league this season. It's absolute nonsense, but he's having a decent season. El Nenny has contributed. Ceballos played well at the weekend. Hasn't had a great season, but he did play well at the weekend. Um, there's the bones of a good squad there at Arsenal. Like I said, I think the three players away from being really good. Um, and the last game of the weekend then is Everton against Fulham. In what I thought was genuinely an absolute banker home win. But Everton were shocking. Absolutely shocking. Created nothing. Their best chance in the game came from Seamus Coleman, who's 46 years of age, carrying the ball and taking a shot from 20 yards, which um, which clipped the post. Aside from that, they were just awful. They looked like they'd never met each other. Calvert-Lewin was missing, and they did change things at centre-back. Now, I'm kind of hopeful that they'll stick with Godfrey and Holgate as their centre-back pairing. Because I, I did think they did quite well. They were let down by Coleman in the midfield, not protecting them well enough. But Coleman, like, he's just past his best. They, they need a right back. They need a goalkeeper. Uh, Alan back on the bench, which was huge for them. Didn't come on, but at least he is back in the matchday squad. So you'd expect him back in the team for the Merseyside Derby next weekend. Um, yeah, Everton were just really poor. Fulham, on the other hand, Adam Ola Luckman was brilliant. Him and Aina up that left-hand side for them were really, really good. Caused Everton so many problems. Luckman clearly on a mission to prove that Everton were fools to sell him, uh, which they were, and I've been saying for years. Uh, well, a year and a half, I suppose, since they sold him. Um, this was a great win for Fulham. Josh Madger, two, two goals, two tap-ins, but exactly the type of goals they've been missing. You know, just a, a poacher around the box. Um, the first goal is that is made in Nigeria. Aina plays a 1-2 with Luckman. Luckman gets through, crosses it for Maja, who, who scores with a good header. And then the second, it's uh, it's a good shot that Olsen makes a good save from Harrison Reed, uh, but it spins up and, and Maja's there. No defender has reacted. Michael Keane, who's come off the bench, is standing looking completely lost. And... Um, Fulham, great value for their win. Absolutely deserved the win. And and proof that they really shouldn't be where they are. They're a far better team than third from bottom in this Premier League. Far better. A real manager has them in mid-table. I've said it before. I'm going to keep saying it. I don't care that they won. I'm going to keep saying it. A real manager has them in mid-table. They have given themselves some hope. They're now seven points behind 17th place Newcastle. 
eight points behind Burnley and Brighton. They've got a better goal difference than Newcastle. They've only scored 19 goals, but the defence has been has been good. Ariola has been really good, and the partnership of Anderson and Tolson has been, I would say, one of the better partnerships in the league this season. Um, if it hadn't been for those first couple of games where they were playing Dennis Adoy, uh, Tim Ream, and Michael Hector, they'd have, you know, they'd probably have conceded 25 goals or less. Um, yeah, I, I really, I really like this Fulham team. I, I really want them to stay up. But it, I don't really see a team that I'd, you know, I'd like to see. I don't want anyone to go down. That's not what I mean. But I, I would, it would be crushing for Newcastle fans if they got relegated again. It would be their third relegation under Ashley. It's bad enough been owned by Ashley, but been relegated three times. Now, the, the plus side of it is if they go down, Ashley will spend money to bring them back up because he doesn't want to be in the championship. He needs to be in the Premier League. That's where the money is. So if they go down, he will spend, and at least they'll get a season where they win regularly and, and will, you know, probably get promoted again. So maybe for Newcastle fans, the fun, the better outcome is they go down, they sack the manager, they get a proper manager in. Because, uh, you know, I mean, poor old Steve Bruce, he just. He's just not he's not good enough for that club. He's not a big enough manager for that club. He doesn't have what's needed at Newcastle. Too big a club to be playing the way they are and doing the things they do. So they get a new manager, they spend some money, they have a year where they win most of their games, they get promoted back into the Premier League. Maybe that's the best outcome for them. Because if they stay up, it'll probably be another year of Bruce. So that's the truth of it. It'll probably be another year of Bruce. And nobody wants another year. Nobody wants another week of Steve Bruce. Um, That's the eight games from the weekend. Two games tonight. West Ham play host to Sheffield United. That's a tougher game than it would have been a month ago. Um, And then Newcastle play host to... New. I'm sorry, Chelsea play host to Newcastle. The West Ham game is the 6 p.m. kickoff. The Chelsea game is the 8 p.m. kickoff. If both teams win, Liverpool will end the weekend in sixth position, which will just, you know, compound my misery, which began with their 3-1 defeat at the start of Saturday. Um, And then I had to watch all the other games and watch teams play well and watch actual defenders and not midfielders masquerading as defenders. Um, the horrors, the absolute horrors. Uh, I'm going to wrap up with the gossip to make myself feel better. Uh, Paris Saint-Germain manager Mauricio Pochettino is keen on signing his former Tottenham goalkeeper Hugo Lloris. Spurs would do well to let him go. I think they would do well to let him go and move on and get someone younger, someone who's on an upward trajectory uh, because Lloris is very much on the on the slide. He is on the downside of the hill, and um, it's gathering momentum. Arsenal have been told they can sign Celtic striker Odson Edouard for just 15 million. 
If that's true, everybody needs to be all over that. He is far too good to be going for 15 million. He's really, really all you know, well-rounded striker, can do a bit of everything, and will score goals in the Premier League. He's ready for the Premier League. Every club needs to be knocking on Celtic's door for that. Um, the agent of Lille defender Sven Botman, who's been linked with Liverpool, has denied that the Dutch player has agreed to a move uh, to an unnamed club in the summer. Yeah, I mean, look, it's it's going to be three long months, February, March, April, of journalists in crappy newspapers and crappy outlets making stuff up because they've got column inches to fill. That's what's going to happen. So I'm just letting you know right now, most of the gossip that we read out, that I read out here over the next three months is going to be absolute trash. Um, Brazil defender David Luiz is said to be handed a fresh contract extension at Arsenal. That is a dreadful decision. If that's true, that is a dreadful decision. They need to stop giving contracts to old players who are past their best and are on big money. The Aubameyang contract does not look good at all. The Willian contract is a disaster. He is just not very good. It's time to move on. Uh, Celtic are keen on a move for Burnley and Republic of Ireland midfielder Robbie Brady. I'd be very much in favour of that. He'd do very well in Scotland. And um, and he's very good. So, he's, you know, Celtic could do it with some help. Bayern Munich are stepping up their pursuit of Norwich right back Max Ahrens. Yeah, I mean, it's the one thing they don't have. They've uh, they've secured a deal for Deot Upamecano from RB, Salzburg, RB Leipzig in the summer. All top clubs were after him. Liverpool, United, Chelsea, etc., etc. At least they had interest in him. Bayern have struck early and they got that deal done. So I, I think it's a great signing for them. I think Max Ahrens would be a very clever signing for them as well. Newcastle have been offered the chance to sign Daniel Sturridge who's been without a club since leaving Trabzonspor. That's a long time for him to be without a club. Daniel Sturridge not having a club is one of the strangest things currently happening in football. The fact that Danny Welbeck, who was never in his life fit to to lace Daniel Sturridge's boots, is currently playing regular minutes for a Premier League team. And Daniel Sturridge has been without a contract since... March the 2nd of last year, 11 months without a contract. He did serve a four-month ban uh, for basically the same thing that Kieran Trippier got done for. Uh, I think he told his brother to put money on him moving to, it was either Sevilla or Inter Milan, I can't remember which. Uh, Neither move happened and he ended up joining West Brom on loan at the time um, and he got banned for four months. But Daniel Sturridge is an incredible talent. He is as gifted a striker as England has produced in maybe ever. But I mean, injuries have spoiled his career. But he, when he's when he plays, he's just he is a joy, an absolute joy to watch. And I, I would urge any Premier League club to sign him. Brighton could do with him. He is so much better than Danny Welbeck. It's not even funny. Uh, former Chelsea and Atletico Madrid striker Diego Costa is in talks to join his boyhood club at Palmeiras. Uh, Costa is 32 and had his contract terminated by Atletico in January. Palmeiras just won the Copa Libertadores, so, you know, it'd be a good chance to go there. They're on a high. And um, 
yeah, I, look, I think it's a good move. I think it's a good move for him to head head back to Brazil. Uh, Chelsea manager Thomas Tuchel says there would have been a chance of him becoming Newcastle manager if club had approached him in 2015. Uh, that's just compounding the misery for Newcastle fans. I mean, why would you want to do that? Does he have a grudge against them that he's just letting them know this now? That seems mean. Uh, Manchester United are set to extend backup keeper Lee Grant's contract at the club with the 38-year-old English player's current deal running out in the summer. That makes sense because it's, you know, it's for quota. Um, They need to have a certain amount of homegrown players. He is a homegrown player and therefore... It makes sense for them to keep him. He's on a cheap contract. He doesn't play. He doesn't cause any trouble. And by all accounts, he's very good in the dressing room and on the training ground. Uh, the final thing, then, is just this, this week's David Ornstein column. Um, Ornstein has said that at the moment, it doesn't look like there's any pressure really on Mourinho from within Spurs. Uh, his contract runs to 2023. There's no exit option on either side. So if they did sack him, they'd have to pay him basically the full remaining term of the contract. Uh, There's a growing belief that the Premier League will clamp down on international travel next month. Uh, We've already heard that players from Brazil, uh, clubs won't uh, won't have to release them for international, uh, international duty, so that will solve a lot of problems for Liverpool, for Man City and for Everton. Esri Konza, has um, come to the fore this year. Obviously, I've been talking about him a lot on this podcast, and thankfully now others are as well. Um, He's in the mix for a spot in the England squad, and he's also being tracked by Liverpool and Tottenham. Liverpool and Tottenham tend to to identify a lot of the same players. Uh, Esri Konza would be a great signing for Liverpool. Um, he's a tremendous defender who would fit well next to Van Dyke, and I think I think he'd be a great signing. The price would be high. That's the only thing. Um, the rest of it is just VAR. Uh, Three million donation to the NHS mooted in discussions about vaccinating Premier League players. I've, I've said before. I think Dyche was right. I think Premier League players should get vaccinated uh, because then it would save quite a lot of money over the rest of the season, and that money would then be given to uh, the NHS. And um, that's pretty much it. That is us. That is the show. Thank you, as always, for listening. Uh, Monday. So, you know, always a bit of a a rough day after you've had the weekend. Hope you all did have a nice weekend. And you know, hopefully this week isn't too rough on any of us. Uh, I'll be back tomorrow. Thank you, as always, for listening. Thank you to Guy Drinkle. See you later. Bye-bye. Podcast Network.